Okay, welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. I know why Candice is excited, because as we're going to air today, it's September the 14th, which means tomorrow's December, September the 15th, which means we're now less than half a month away from October, and that's Halloween month. October is my favorite month, it's true. (laughs) Which means all sorts of Halloween-y stuff, and you know, uh, I know Spirit Halloween is open in the basement of Stone Road Mall, and... Where it, where it usually is, right next to the dollar store, right under the COVID vaccination clinic. So, yeah, it's one-stop shopping. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, right right where it should be. <laughs> right where it should be. <laughs> That's right. I remember that time it was in a tent in the parking lot. Um, mm. That was good times. I think that was the year of Superstorm Sandy, um, which I, I don't know how that ended up for Spirit <laughs> Halloween, but... <laughs> we our memories work in very funny ways. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure there are teams of researchers out there trying to understand how our memories work. Good gracious, I hope so. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies. Which this week will be the new horror drama Glorious. Which you can now stream on Shudder, the horror-only streaming service that uh, you have to be really hardcore to pony up that $5.99 a month. Or maybe not hardcore, but you have to really... It's worth it. You have to really love the scary flicks, but um, it is worth it. Uh, That will be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we're going to look at some, well, Halloween-adjacent or horror-adjacent uh, topics and since we're doing a horror movie this week and since it's on Shutter, which um, is probably the place to go if you're looking for like some recently released horror movies because Shutter has a lot of exclusives um, including maybe a couple on our list this week which uh, we decided to talk about three of what we consider some of the best horror movies in the last 10 years and uh, it's been an interesting 10 years because uh, it feels like horror is more legit these days um, than it's ever been. It feels like uh, the sort of the, the cinephile culture has caught up to uh, where horror fans have always been, which is that uh, this is a good genre that uh, delivers a lot of interesting movies with a lot of great variety. And uh, it, it, you should not be ashamed to be a horror filmmaker or a horror film fan. I have never, ever <laughs> felt any shame. No guilty pleasures here. <laughs> all pleasure. It's all pleasure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pleasure and pain, which seems like uh, we're talking the, about yeah. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah, which comes out in a couple of weeks. And I, I know that's something I'm looking forward to. But we're not talking about the movies we're looking forward to. We're talking about some of the movies we already have seen and already like. So let's kick off our top three this week with Candace's first choice for one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years. Sure. So um, just a a quick sidebar, R.E. Shudder. So that's and that's Shudder with two Ds. Uh, I think while I agree it is a very genre specific uh, streaming service, um, 
I think even if you're just interested in learning more about horror, you could you could, you know, enjoy the the station as well because they do have they've just got so many documentaries too, you know, right. on all these the cursed films. They have this like four hour long documentary about the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Mm-hmm. They've got the two um what are they called it's in in search of darkness so like two-part mm-hmm. long like, so you could just you don't even have to watch any horror movies you could just learn all about horror movies and then go out in the world and and say you know all about them without having to actually endure the uh, <laughs> the pleasure and the pain of watching them so there's also a whole documentary about the queer subtext of nightmare on elm street too mm-hmm. so you can you can watch that and look super smart and never have to have watched a single frame of nightmare on elm street part two yep Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was a daunting task uh, mm-hmm. to try to figure this out. And as I was kind of looking through all the films that have been released and going, oh, I love that one. I love that one. Oh, that one was really good, too. What do I want to talk about? I realized, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to make use of my letterboxed uh, account. Here we go. And <laughs> so because I log all these films, um, I can just go and like give me all the films that I watched that are in the horror genre. And then if I really want, I can sort them by decade. So I could say I want all the ones that are from the 2010s or all the ones from the 2020s or all the ones from the 1930s because there are some of those there too. <laughs> but once I do that, I can then also sort by my rating. I could sort by the, my highest rated. I could sort by my lowest rated. I could sort by other people's ratings. It's it's great. I love it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to... I'm not going to go through this list and try to figure out what I want. I'm actually going to see what I have already decided are the best <laughs> horror films that have come out. And so uh, I have my top three here, and I'm just going to give a quick shout out to Blood Quantum, which is one of my top five horror films that have come out in the last 10 years. But we've mm-hmm. talked about that film a lot, so I don't mm-hmm. think we need to cover it today. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with the the... Uh, three films that are just higher than that. They're all five-star films. The first one is a Shutter exclusive, and mm-hmm. it's called The Love Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is like some real like genre filmmaking. So the director uh, Anna Anna Biller has made this film about uh, this woman. Does she have a name? I don't even remember if she actually has a name in the film. She is the Love Witch. It is. <laughs> A film made in 2016, but it is all filmed as though it happens in the 60s, right down to the same like film stocks, the same colors, the same shooting styles. It it mimics the style so well, but it's such a, a current film because it really is about feminism and about a woman's power, what that power is and how she wields it. So this woman, the witch... Elaine, her name is Elaine. She uh-huh. she just wants to be loved and to love someone. So this film is all about her trying to find the man who is going to love her. And she does this using witchcraft. So she casts spells on these men. And then it never turns out very well. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're under uh, the the powerful spell of a love witch... You just go a little too far. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I don't know that this film is for everybody. It is very slow moving. Um, 
it is very much like i said it is really made in the style of films from the 60s which is a very different style of filmmaking and i know you know there's a a lot of people who are trying to go back and watch a lot of films from the 60s and 70s these horror films and some are finding a lot of things they like in it and some are just like i just i just can't get on board with this style of storytelling it's so slow and nothing happens mm -hmm. but it's just absolutely gorgeous the makeup on the the actress the love witch is just it's beautiful <laughs> it's the her costumes i mean you just if you're into that sort of 60s style filmmaking mm -hmm. but want something that's just a little bit more um uh, a little less subtle, let's say, in <laughs> the actual feminism, then The Love Witch is for you. Made in 2016. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've seen The Love Witch, uh, although I have seen the it on available on Shudder, so uh, I may have to check it out. Um, and I, I do also want to attach myself to The Shadow for Blood Quantum, which is why it's it's... The, we have talked about it a lot because it just came out a couple of years ago. So that's why it's not on my list either. Um, although it is definitely top five, uh, if not top three material. Um, my first pick is in a feminist vein as well. Uh, though it's not kind of explicitly horror, there is something very horrific about it. Um, it's called Unsane, which is a movie by... Uh, Steven Soderbergh, who is a very well-known filmmaker, has gone pretty experimental the last few years, and uh, this one was very experimental. He shot it all on an iPhone 7 Plus in 4K. Um, so already you kind of have this uh, voyeuristic vibe to it because it's all being shot on uh, a handheld uh, phone, although I know they, they he was also using like various rigs and Steadicam things to 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 film it so it's not completely handheld but it is that that is sort of in the back of your head as you're watching it um so the story is about a young woman played by claire foy who uh moved away from her home um because she was being stalked um however she still feels paranoid and, and afraid and she eventually finds herself in an institution to um try and improve her mental health and and try to um, you know, I, I guess try and find some relief from, from all of this trauma she suffered. Uh, not as easy as all that because uh, she is in a <laughs> very crooked institution, which is fleecing people for their insurance money. They are kept in the institution so long as their insurance runs out. Uh, or I guess their insurance is, because this is the United States, remember, their insurance um, is available and once their insurance runs out, they are kicked out of the institution, no matter what condition they are. They are held into the institution collecting their, on insurance money, even if um, they were only there for a brief time for 24 hours, like Claire Foy checks herself in. Into this situation, though, is her stalker, who is played by, of all cockamamie people, and I'm not sure how cognizant the casting decision was, but Joshua Leonard, who was one of the three in the Blair Witch Project. Um, so this is like kind of a pretty big role for him, but he plays the stalker and the Claire Foy character is, isn't sure if she's paranoid, if she's drugged up, like, is she really seeing him? Is she not? Um, she finds some help inside the hospital from other uh, characters there. And um, 
well, it, I don't want to spoil it because it is kind of very edge of your seat. It is a very taunt thriller. Um, it, it's always shot from these like kind of weird angles that make you feel like you are kind of stalking her while uh, she's in this institution. Uh, so it's kind of unsettling. And then the timing of this, it come, came out in spring 2018, which is kind of immediately after the whole uh, Me Too fallout. And uh, so, you know, you get this film where uh, a woman is being very much victimized um, in literal and not so literal ways. And so it, it's I remember watching it in the movie theater uh, when it came out and it is kind of deeply unsettling watching this poor woman suffer. Um, and Soderbergh's really good about, well, is it in whole is it in her mind? Is she really you know, being stalked? Is she, is it, is, is she just seeing things? And he kind of makes it explicit uh, almost before it's too late, almost like right before it's too late. You're like, Oh no, this really is happening. She really is in grave danger. And um, it's really hard to see how this woman comes out of it. And it's uh, yeah, it's tight. It's a tight thriller. So unsane Steven Soderbergh um, probably one of his underappreciated in, in films of the last uh, several years, but very worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. I'd never even heard of it. So, Unsane. I don't know where it's streaming anywhere. Maybe as you're talking yeah. about your next pick, I will see if I can find where it might be streaming so people can see it. Sure. All right. Uh, so my next film um, is a One Cut of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Japanese film that came out in 2017. And it's uh, it's a zombie film, but it's not a zombie film. Mm-hmm. It's it's very uh, so. Essentially, I guarantee you that when you watch this movie, you will watch it one and a half times <laughs> because it opens with a thirty-seven minute long film, all done in one take, which is just an unimaginable feat to begin with. So the camera never cuts ever it follows these characters through 37 minutes of trying to survive a zombie like apocalypse Mm -hmm. and then we get to the end of the movie 37 minutes later and you go oh okay but there's still a whole hour of this film what is going on and then we find out that this is actually you know a, a film that's being filmed for television. We saw what they saw on TV. And now we go and spend an hour with these filmmakers, learning who they are, learning their story, and following them through the pre-production and production of this particular piece of film, mm-hmm. which also happens to take place during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I just like, it's just mind blowing this film how well done it is again like that first 37 minutes it's just it's beautiful it's such hard filmmaking to to do a sort of a one shot for any length of time let alone a full 37 minute short film mm-hmm. but so they do that and then they and then they give you a whole other film that is also is just equally as good and it's funny and it's heartwarming you get all sorts of stories about love and family and what people mean to each other and it's just this triumphant ending and then like i said you will immediately just start it again because now you've seen 
the behind the scenes of how they made the first part of the movie. So you want to watch it again to see, you're like, <laughs> oh my goodness, all of this is what was going on while they were trying to make this movie. So you watch it again to see if you can find the seams, if you can figure out what's going on. And it's just, it's so well done. It's so tight. Um, it's also, it was incredibly inexpensive to make. Apparently it costs about $25,000 to make and just made like millions of dollars. It's another one of those sort of indie sort of stories where you can make a really inexpensive movie and have a really unique and original take and people just love it. Uh, so I would definitely, definitely recommend this movie. Um, zombies, zombies are just kind of back. I feel like in the last 10 years, zombies have made a really big comeback with really interesting ways to tell the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will, uh reserve judgment on whether or not zombies are back uh but because uh, i i'm i question whether or not they went anywhere um that does Wait, sound... zombies are back and better than ever how does that sound uh i still reserve uh, but I, I will say like uh there are a lot of really great japanese horror movies um and a lot of people think about you know the ring when they think about or, or ringu uh when they think about japanese horror movies and it's like well it's a little you know there's a lot more variety than that you know if you're it's kind of like if you think about anime as like astro boy and sailor moon it's you know you're you're missing out mm -hmm. uh there too um yeah. i uh my second pick is on shutter and just for the record unsane you can rent that from all the usual suspects um just watch says it's on hoopla but uh hoopla is hit and miss because it depends on what your local mm -hmm. library has access to but this one's on Shutter. My next pick. It is Nightmare Cinema. It's an anthology film uh, with five different segments. It's almost two hours long, so the segments are a little bit longer than you usually get from something like the the VHS films or the ABCs of Death. But I it, like the, these anthology films have sort of been like a big trend in in horror um, in the last ten years, and probably a little bit before that. But this is a really interesting slate of filmmakers. So you get Mick Garris who's known for a ton of Stephen King ad adaptations. You get Joe Dante, Gremlins, um, Explorers, Small Soldiers fame. Uh, you get David Slate, who directed a ton of Hannibal and is, is known for a couple of different uh, movie projects. You, uh, speaking of Japanese filmmakers, you get uh, Rohai Kitamura, who did Midnight Train, uh, Midnight Meat Train and The Doorman, and Alejandro Budris, who did One of the Dead, um, speaking of <laughs> of speaking of playful similes on on Night of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, or Dawn of the Dead, um, so it, it's five different stories. They're kind of loosely threaded together by this kind of haunted movie theater um, and the projectionist there, who is Mickey Rourke, uh, or played by Mickey Rourke. Although I like to think that Mickey Rourke is playing Mickey Rourke as this uh, <laughs> damned projectionist in a rundown movie theater. Um, but every tale starts off with somebody entering the movie theater and um, a, a kind of story about their life unfurls. And, and they're all pretty different. You get this one, um, I think it was the Dante entry, uh, Mirari, who, which is about a woman who has a scar from a childhood uh, car accident. And she goes to a plastic surgeon to get it fixed before her wedding. And uh, it is, uh, there's some pretty, horrifying uh makeup effects in that one and then you get something like dead which was the slate entry which is um kind of like a, a haunted 
drama about this kid who's kind of the sole survivor of a carjacking and how he's able to see ghosts, especially the ghost of his mom as um, he's trying to recover in this hospital. It's, and there's some really kind of beautiful um, acting in that. So it's, it's very like the segments are very, very different, but in terms of like anthologies, it's pretty tight technically, like, although it's different crews working on different segments, it comes together really nicely, which is sometimes hard with these anthology films where you get like, you know, the, the dramatically different styles. And then there's a whole segment here that's in black and white. And you think, well, that's kind of jarring considering the rest of the films in color, but it actually all flows together really, really nice. Um, I don't think there's kind of one segment that's kind of over and above the other, um, I think they're all kind of equally good, which is nice. It's nice when an anthology can sort of like set a tone instead of saying like, you know, to to pick a another anthology film that Joe Dante was involved in, uh, the Twilight Zone movie, where you uh, you start off with um, the opening segment and then you go into this. Um, <laughs> the first segment is the one that is speaking of cursed films, uh, the one that uh, has this uh, horrible reputation. And then you go into the Spielberg segment, which is the absolute worst part. And then you get the two kind of decent things. It ends with the George Miller recreation of the, uh, the I can't remember the title, but it's the gremlin on the wing, um, which is the best part. So it's nice to have something that's good consistently all the way through. Nightmare Cinema is a lot of fun and uh, really creative. And it brings together a, a pretty interesting variety of talents. So it's that's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. I think the gremlin on the wing is uh, 20,000 feet uh, above the air or something. What was that called? Yeah, it's yeah. fright at. Yeah. But and that's at... the one, the remake with John Lithgow, right? That's, that's with Lithgow, as... yeah. 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 The original has uh, William Shatner, the original TV yeah. version. Yeah. 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 All right. So that brings us to numero tres. Yeah. So uh, I don't, um, I don't watch enough anthologies i definitely should but i always because they're so hit and miss i i always sort of you know yeah hold hold judgment decide to do something else so um the final movie i want to bring is the best movie i have seen i just i can't even comprehend how good this movie is and it's train to busan Uh uh-huh uh which is a uh korean uh zombie film taking place on one of the high-speed trains and it is it is just it's the tensest like i it is it is so tense i just i can't i imagine as i was watching this film i sort of thought is this how other people who don't like horror feel when they're watching horror movies (laughs) how amazing must this be like it is so tense this film you're literally like you're just on the seat the edge of your seat the whole time you have no idea who is going to uh survive and who doesn't and um it's uh yeah everybody's at risk at all moments they do such a great job of of slowing it down so that Mm. you get pulled in and then speeding it up um speaking of speeding it up these are very fast moving zombies Mm -hmm. like incredibly fast moving and then the zombies themselves look incredible because they actually hired a number of um like contortionists so that they could make these just very unhuman like looking ways of moving around because they they you know did this all you know so it's all practical like these zombies look great because of the way that they move 
you mm-hmm. can believe that they're undead and there's something unnatural about them. Um, the other incredible thing about this movie is not only how tense it is, but how incredibly moving it is. Like I, I cried so hard at this film, like <laughs> so hard. The it's I just don't understand how you can make a film so scary, so intense, and so like bawlingly like sad. It's just. Uh, yeah, I and you know I've seen I I have developed a habit of watching um, YouTube videos of people reacting to other movies, mm-hmm. and so they tend to all watch the same movies around the same time. So I think at least three of them all watch Train to Busan kind of within a week's time, and so <laughs> I watch these reaction movies every time, and I'm I'm bawling at the reaction movies because it's just so moving what happens. Uh, I I yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect film. Absolutely perfect film as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Train of Busan's pretty good and it's really easy to find. I know it's on Tubi, uh, although that is ad supported. Um yeah. it is on Shutter, all it's three on of the films. Okay. Yeah, that I, yeah. I, th- I thought it had been taken off Shutter at some point, but um it is it is fairly easy to find out there. Um my last pick, um, speaking of sort of underestimated genres like uh, the zombie genre the creature feature and this one came out in 2019 it is from director alexandra aha and uh producer sam Raimi. it is called crawl and Mm -hmm. it is a two-hander basically and much like our movie this week uh kind of set in one place um it stars uh kea scoladario and barry pepper who were interestingly in the maze runner movies together as well um speaking of guilty pleasures of mine um so they play daughter and father uh it, there's a category five hurricane bearing down on uh florida and uh the daughter goes to the father's beach house to see if he's there uh, her sister can't reach the father and uh, they want to make sure that uh you know he is safe although they are estranged and so uh, the father is trapped under the in the crawl space under the house because Florida homes do not have basements for obvious reasons, but they do, however, have crawl spaces. And uh, they get trapped uh, as the flooding waters come in, and they are surrounded by man-eating alligators, um, several of them. And uh, boy, do. Are, are the alligators well fed in this film? And uh, <laughs> it is uh, it is taunt. It is um, startling. Uh, you know, it, what, what's really great about how the film is constructed is um, the characters are presented with a crisis. They are presented with uh, a situation that they must evade and escape. Um, and it is, it's, it's interesting. It, 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 it is, does follow them as they have to climb the house as the floodwaters come in and they're trying to escape the alligators uh, starts in the crawl space, ends on the roof, and uh, <laughs> each each challenge is met and answered by a different challenge. Um, not everyone escapes with all of their limbs, and that's uh, all I will say about that. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's very uh, taunt. Uh, it's claustrophobic. It's it's tight. It's well edited. Uh, the acting is great. Um, Kea Scolidero is you know, one of these actresses who's kind of 
never gotten like the really good shot at the leading lady roles. Although, you know, she's, she was on the British version of skins and she was in the pirates. Movies. And like I said, she was on the maze runner films, um, but she's, she's really good. And um, this is a really great showcase for her. Barry Pepper and kind of an underestimated actor, but he, um, does some really good work here and they make a really effective team. And uh, Alexandra Aha um, was definitely on his game with this one. He's not always like, sometimes he delves a little bit too much into the camp, um, but he, he, he's, he's an interesting filmmaker. Uh, he did the Hills Have Eyes remake, which is pretty effective. Um, and uh, although he did also did Piranha 3D, which is uh, a little too tart for my liking. But um, he's, yeah. a, he's a talented guy. Uh, I'm going to agree. So we, uh, you and I reviewed this one together for the show. And yeah. uh, I mean, this film was so much better than it had any right to be. Like I, I did that's not right. go in expecting an actual movie, <laughs> yeah. but that's what I got. Um, and <laughs> I, I do actually like Piranha 3D immensely because I also really like that style of creature feature. I will say my, my other, um, uh, Five star film uh, is the uh, Mega Python versus Gatoroid, which is my favorite creature <laughs> of all time. So I absolutely like that style of movie, and I love Piranha 3D. And so I thought that's what I was going to get with Crawl, and instead I got an, a real, actual movie, which was also good. So I agree. <laughs> that's that is a very good film to to dig into. It's nice when you watch a movie to get a movie, and uh... <laughs> sometimes you don't believe sometimes me. You don't. <laughs> Whether or not Glorious is a movie that's a movie, we will determine after this break coming up next. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. This free falls of free for all For those with rubber mouths Why don't you come on down the ringside Watch the jumper head in south Ooh, there'll be you and I As you walk the street The way he jerks Then hesitates A meeting with mortality He's always with the weight Turn your head and walk Turn your head and walk Turn your head and walk Everything all right over there, my friend? Over here. Is that all of it? Yeah. I guess. Are you sure? Okay, that was a clip from Glorious. It's the new film from Rebecca McKendry, and it stars Ryan Quantin, Tori Clark, Sylvia Grace Krim, Andre Lammer, and the extraordinary voice of J.K. Simmons. <laughs> Such a treat. It is a treat. And uh, I can't think of 
it's either the greatest casting ever or the most unexpected casting ever. But we have a, what we have here is a character who is an ethereal destruction god from outside the known universe. And so he is voiced by a man with sort of the most folksy Midwestern draw they could find that you would immediately identify. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I I have long said that your film will be imminently better if you cast J.K. Simmons in it. And I have never been proven wrong. <laughs> he he just he lifts everything. <laughs> <laughs> He does. And I have to say, like, Ryan Quantin, um, he's well known for True Blood, for playing um, Jason Stackhouse in True Blood, uh, Sookie's uh, dim-witted brother. And um, I get a sense with a lot of these people who are on True Blood who were definitely of the man-meat vibe. Uh, and I get this vibe from Alexander Skarsgård, too, that... They've kind of spent their post-True Blood uh, careers uh, trying to uh, shed the... <laughs> I'm more than just a pretty face. I'm more, or, or more than just a... Yeah, I'm basically, I'm more than just a piece of meat. Um, I can act with a top on, too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, Alexander Skarsgård did, did go top off again for the Northmen, but uh, there was a lot of intensity there that would have... Um, really genuinely frightened anyone who watched true blood but uh yeah ryan quantin interesting guy i have seen him act in other things other than true blood he did this movie called griff the invisible that i saw years ago where he plays a man who also a similar situation where he kind of retreats into this sort of fantasy that he's a superhero um so definitely as a result of sort of romantic entanglement so um he maybe has an attraction to the material of here's a brokenhearted man who desperately needs to be shocked out of his funk with something extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so let's, let's talk about this film a little bit. It's mm -hmm. um, so the character of Wes uh, mm -hmm. is, yeah, clearly, distraught as we as we start the film start Very. the film with a bit of um interior where he's you know alone in this black space and he's hearing ethereal voices and talking about i thought she was different and then we wake up and we're in in a car together as he's presumably running away from some sort of failed relationship mm -hmm. um and gosh i just i watched the first you know, 15 minutes of this film and just thinking, my God, men really don't know how to process feelings, do they? Like, <laughs> this is not a skill that was ever taught. Like, yeah, it's okay. Like, obviously, it's upsetting mm -hmm. to lose someone you love. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but, wow. <laughs> like, people recover from this. Mm -hmm. daily you know this happens to everybody there's not a single human in this world who has not had to recover from losing a person they loved yeah you don't generally pack up your car and drive until you fall asleep behind the wheel almost yeah and then have this this like i mean sure yes 
burning belongings this is kind of a thing a lot of people do it you know they want to take all these mementos they want to burn them they drink he does all these things that are that are you know individually yes people have done this as part of their sort of grieving process as part of their healing process but he just he does them all and he does them with such <laughs> violence <laughs> it's like whoa okay you have clearly been through something Mm -hmm. um, and then he walks into the, the bathroom and then as we've said this this voice from another stall starts talking to him which just brings him on a whole other journey that's um yeah i mean it's not really the type of journey you'd normally have in a in a bathroom i think um <laughs> yeah so I will say with this movie, as I as I watch it, I was enjoying it. Um, J.K. Simmons is great, uh, mm. but I also I do think you know when I chose it and I said, "Hey, look, it's a you know glorious and it's a glorious seventy nine minutes." I have long advocated for the eighty two minute you know eighty two to eighty eight minutes perfect for a horror film. That's right. Seventy nine. Yep. I did say, "Whoa, seventy nine minutes." I feel like this is a pretty short movie, and I think in fact it was even shorter. Like. The the movie itself, I I think they wanted to make this a feature, so they they pushed it to seventy nine minutes. I didn't actually check to see how much of that was um, credits, but mm. I think you sort of have to be about seventy five or seventy seven to be considered feature length. Mm -hmm. And I think they could have told the same story and been tighter if they did it in sort of sixty minutes. Yeah, it could have been a Twilight Zone or uh, Amazing Stories or one of those. Um, yeah, because there, there's a part where the groundskeeper shows up that feels like kind of a drag. Um, that it's it kind of walks over ground that the movie already walked over, and it and it gets us. It brings a, another presence in, like that we kind of don't really need. I think we get everything we need with mm -hmm. um, with Quantin and the disembodied voice of J.K. Simmons, yeah. and it, it kind of like interrupts kind of their flow and um, sort of the, I think the even yeah. Sorry, no, with no. Bringing with bringing in the the groundskeeper, you could have still had that because it does create a very uh, sort of beautiful rain of blood, um, <laughs> and I think that it did up it did up the ante a little bit. Um, mm at this point but again that could have been done faster there was no need for the the back and forth and yelling at each other and you got let me out no you do this and it's like we we get it like we know what's going on here you could just mm -hmm. get right to the killing possibly um i i just think there's there's an obvious kind of escalation that we're going on um, and then it kind of plateaus when the groundskeeper walks in and, and you know, we kind of get a, a variety of some of the same threats. But I, I didn't necessarily mind it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously trying to pad it out and it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the film. Um, what, what I do find interesting is, you know, you mentioned this, that, you know, of course, this is, you know, sort of set in the bathroom, but, you know, the... Uh, What's the name of the the creature? I'm gonna try and uh, Godnothoa. Godnothoa. Yeah, where you, <laughs> you have to pinch your tongue to say it right. Um, son, son of Cthulhu, by the way. Right. <laughs> uh, where where he says like, hey, you know, there's nothing to do, uh, there's nothing else to do in the bathroom, but you know, do 
you know, do what you came in to do and you're alone with your thoughts and there's nothing, no distractions. And, you know, that's, I, I think that's a, a truism, you know, if you were talking about, you know, wanting to be somewhere where you have to think about matters of universal cosmic destruction and, and the sacrifices you would make to prevent that, um, you know, maybe there is no better setting than a bathroom. <laughs> at the side of the road <laughs> sure sure um i mean it's a it's a stereotype and all women you know believe that men like take a very long time in the bathroom and wonder what are you doing in there and maybe that's what what all men are doing in there they're just you know having a real good tete-a-tete with um some sort of uh ancient god mm-hmm yeah, it, it happens. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, it, it it is interesting. There, there is it's it is mentioned that the the the, the entity is uh, Cthulhu uh, adjacent. Um, and you mentioned this when you talked about reviewing this movie that there is a kind of Lovecraftian vibe to it, and um, that that is true. This idea that. Um, we are kind of cogs in a cosmic machine we can never really understand. And even, you know, uh, God, God, um, or God, uh, is, you know, trying to explain these things. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't really understand. I was like, yeah, I'm like this, but you know, that's, that's kind of dumbing it down, <laughs> which, um, is, you know, these sort of cosmic conversations about how kind of we little understand, how little we understand ourselves and how little we understand the world. It's, it's very much a part of the sort of Lovecraftian vibe. So it's not a Lovecraftian story, but it is, uh, it, it does feel very much a piece of that, that, um, you know, we, we really have no power over ourselves. And, you know, if something were to come along, destroy us, maybe that's not such a bad thing either. And I found it interesting that you have, um, through the much of the first part of the movie, you have the um, the disembodied uh, ethereal entity advocating for the survival of humanity with uh, the human b- basically saying, ah, just let it all destroy, whatever, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really, um, you do spend the movie trying to sort of figure out, like, is, is uh, Gat, is he evil is he a bad guy is he what is he trying to do similar to wes um who you know it is pretty clear that there is a little bit something more going on Mm -hmm. um with this breakup and we're sort of unraveling it slowly so you do sort of wonder a few times like who's who is worth saving here and who who is actually trying to um yeah, who's trying to save the universe in this case, and for what purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I mean, the answers aren't really clear, really, at the end, because um, I will say, spoiler: the universe is saved. Um, yeah, but yeah, but again, for what purpose? <laughs> right? Like, uh, I, I mean, I guess maybe it's a little existential. It's just like. Mm-hmm. All the rest of us were just going about our things where there was a sort of life or death fight for the universe over here. The mm-hmm. universe won and carries on and absolutely nothing changes for the rest of us. We just carry on, um, you know, still trapped in this sort of like life where some of us are, you know, leading good lives and having happy things and family and all that. And other people are leading less happy lives and mm-hmm. nothing has changed. 
Yeah, there's definitely sort of a message at the end of the film that's like, yeah, the universe was saved, but like no one will ever know was at stake. No one ever will know how it was saved, who saved it, what happened. Uh, no one was sort of chronicling the journey, which, um, you know, is, you know, it makes you ask the questions like, is, you know, something worth doing if it isn't, you know, yeah, nobody's there kind of writing it down, um, which, you know, plays against, you know, a lot of a lot of Hollywoodish movies where it's like, well, no, this, the story is the most important thing. And, and then you have this case here. It's like, Oh, is it, is the story the most important thing or, you know, is, uh, is anything important at all? I don't even think it's making mm -hmm. a, a case that something's important or life is important or humans are important. It's just like, it's just, you know, this is just another thing in a life of, um, you know, where we're trying to, personalize you know deep-seated cosmic forces we don't understand and you know um maybe you know there are no good people there may be just good decisions and you know here this miserable person um <laughs> yeah. is, ca is called upon to make a good choice for once and um maybe that's that's enough mm -hmm. yeah and i mean he is chosen you know and they talk about how he's been chosen to do this That's but right, how, Im yeah. how important is it to be chosen and mm -hmm. for for what reason are you the chosen one versus someone else so yeah i mean there's lots i, I think that that's kind of the essence of lovecraftian horror though where you start to think well beyond the actual you know sort of story that's told or the the i guess as you said at the beginning like we really don't understand the cosmic <laughs> in any way it's lampshading that whole, you know, chosen one myth because uh, the, the whole Campbell um, kind of oeuvre of storytelling, this idea like you are the chosen one. It's like, yes, you will be put through great hardship, but you will also get great acclaim. You will become a legend, whether we're talking about Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker, you know, it's uh, being a chosen one has hits, has its difficulties, mm -hmm. but it also has its mon monumentous victories. And I think that's why you know, speaking of Luke Skywalker, that's why Last Jedi hits people like so hard. Why, like, makes so many people angry? It's like Luke Skywalker didn't go on to a life of wine and roses and celebrations and feasts and um, everyone patting him on the back and going, "At a boy," you know he he had one success and then he lost again, and he takes that personally and goes away to this planet essentially to just you know like be left alone and die in peace when you know when the time comes um you know this it, it, it completely disrupts the idea like you are the victor yeah. and you are victorious and you will go and and be celebrated for your victories forever and you know sometimes that's that's just not how life is i mean how many battlefield heroes in in modern society are now you know living on the streets uh, mm -hmm. You know, people who have like ribbons and things and and then like they're found dead somewhere. And you, you look at that, like, how does this person end up homeless? Well, this is kind of like the big cosmic philosophical version of that. Here's this dope who, you know, has been chosen to save the universe and it there will be no reward. And it's the, the mechanics of it are not glorious hence maybe hence the title <laughs> um <laughs> and and, you know, it's it's, you know, does it really matter in the first place? question mark uh um, a shrug emoji it's <laughs> it's it's kind of uh, a downer in some regards but i mean it's also holy it kind of it kind of feels wholly authentic in a way too 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed this film. I will say uh, the reason I wanted to to watch it specifically, too, is because it was directed uh, by Rebecca McKendry. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca McKendry is a, um, a podcaster. That's what I primarily know her as, as a podcaster. Mm-hmm. She has uh, a doctorate in like media studies and teaches horror to people. Um, I don't remember what university college she she works at in the states but so she teaches this and then she's i think done it's these... usc which is the uh, famous film school isn't it no, yeah us I feel like it... is it okay i she's thought it was somewhere USC... on the east coast but no she's at the usc school for cinematic arts which okay. um spielberg could not get into <laughs> yeah remember that um, <laughs> yes yes but so i know her as a as a podcaster i have um, sought out other films that she's made because um, as we talked a little bit about uh, our favorite films um, recently, you mentioned a, uh, uh, I have lost the word, um, <laughs> a movie that has a number of short films in it. Oh, Nightmare know. Cinema. Yeah. Anthology. Yeah. yeah anthology. Thank you. Goodness. Yeah. Need yeah. more tea. Um, but so she, <laughs> she uh, has also directed a short uh, within an anthology called All Creatures, All the Creatures Were Stirring, which of course is also a holiday one, which I really yep. liked. Yep. And uh, I just, I found that one really quite good. And so I've, I've definitely uh, followed her and was looking forward to seeing this film. Mm-hmm. And she works primarily with her husband. So her husband is the, is the writer and then she is the director, um, which mm-hmm. feels like a bit of a, an inversion of what people would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, would happen which is kind of interesting but i also because i definitely looked it up because there was just this whole like this male um emotional violence in this film i was like did she mm-hmm. write this or what i'm like no it's her husband who wrote it so it is sort of coming from a place of kind of recognizing that as opposed to as a woman um I, and i can understand why a woman would say that about a man you know and film that that like men are so Im- incapable of processing their feelings that they have to turn to these like violent outbursts to get it out. Mm-hmm. It was written by a man, her husband. So I was like, okay, so there is some truth to that. It isn't just what I feel. Cause that's what I see. <laughs> yeah. I think that's an interesting thing about this film that I made a note of that. There's this kind of push pull between um, sort of the male perspective of itself and the female perspective of maleness. And there is the, you know, there's a lot of this kind of in, being introspective from both sides of it. Cause there, there is obviously a very kind of um, homophobic quality to, um, you know, <laughs> to the magenta lighting everywhere, the magenta lighting everywhere, but also the fact that, you know, uh, the, the, the West character is communicating with the, the Gota character through uh, a glory hole um, which, um, if you know, by all means, we're on community radio at three o'clock in the afternoon, so I'm not going to uh, talk explicitly about what this is or what happens um, in its uh, in its vicinity. But of course, uh, this has always been, a, you know, a way for um, men who are deeply closeted uh, to uh, experience. Um, you know, preferred sexual gratification with um, with people of their own sex. That this has always kind of been part of the the closeted gay man male experience. And of mm-hmm. course, um, that's sort of lampshaded in through the course of the film because Wes thinks that um, 
well, let's say he thinks the way to save the universe is to indulge in the glory hole experience. Um, but that is not what the creature, uh, the demigod is asking for. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gender back and forth um, that I think you get from that friction of the the male screenwriters and the female director. And it's, it's really there in the subtext, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay, Rebecca. <laughs> Yay, Rebecca, um, <laughs> who also worked at Fangoria and Bloomhouse. And there's been a lot of, you know, um, the, the, you know, the journalistic side of things, um, you know, the kind of cultural commentary side of things is kind of where I, I think women have felt um, encouraged and, and have, um, you know, been really engaging in, in the horror realm. But now we're seeing that crossover. Um, you know, you see that with, um, she used to edit one of the horror magazines. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. So she, she's worked as a podcaster with Fangoria. She did the shockwaves podcast. Yeah. Um, and then there was, there was a bit of a blow up probably about three years ago uh, around Fangoria and around their publisher and a lot of men there who were, um, accused of, um, inappropriate sexual behavior and so a lot of a lot of shakedown happened in the horror um sort of mm-hmm. community for a while yeah i and- was th- i was thinking about uh though javanka vukovic who was uh the, the editor-in-chief of a horror magazine i, I can't remember if it was Fangoria or not but she also has become a filmmaker in the last couple of years mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i mean there's there I, I i can believe that there's probably been um a lot of that influence in, in, in this as well, that, uh, you know, there, there has been a lot of shakeout in not just the horror journalistic community, but also like just, just kind of general sort of internet writers. Um, so that's, I mean, there, there's a lot going on for sure. There, it's, it's a reckoning. It's, it's a, a time reckoning. of reckoning. Yeah. It, is a, it is a time of reckoning indeed. Yeah. Our time of reckoning has come though. It is the end of the show. Um, so we hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for a bunch of the music that you hear on this show. Just search for end credits on CFRU on Spotify. We are on the Facebook and End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candice, if people want to indulge you some more in horror-related topics, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at uh, Sin48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8. Um, I've already plugged my letterbox, so you don't need to follow <laughs> me. Just, you know, just do it. Just do it. Um, but uh, I will be, so that you can also hear me on the Village podcast by The Bookshelf, which uh, I think our new episode is just released this week. And then I'm also making an appearance on a Star Trek podcast called 78 Episodes, 30 Good Ones. Mm-hmm. So I will just talk media. I don't even have to be paid for it. I am familiar with that podcast as well. Um, I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can see my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits. And we will see you then.